Welcome to the Brand Design Masters podcast, the show dedicated to helping you build the skills you need to design bulletproof brands for yourself, your business, and for the clients and customers you serve. And now, here's Philip. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Brand Design Masters podcast. I'm your host, Philip Van Dusen. And today I am super excited because I am here with Jesse Showalter. And Jesse is a full stack designer, mentor, and content creator on a mission to help every creative make an impact in the world. Jesse's the lead designer and developer at Showalter Design Company, who has worked with clients like Adobe and Sketch and Hobnob and Affinity and Anima. And he's also an incredible YouTube content creator with over 185,000 subscribers and 350 videos online. He's a mentor and coach to creatives, and he's also an online course creator. And his most recent courses are Start Your Creative Career and also Become a UX UI Designer. And with that, I welcome Jesse to the show. Hey, thanks, Phil. Thanks for having me on the show. I'm really, really excited to be here. Awesome. So why don't you just share a little bit about yourself, let people get to know you a little bit better. Sure. Yeah. Um, like you said, my name is Jesse Showalter. Um, I'm currently located in Austin, Texas. Uh, it's kind of new for me. We moved about years ago from Honolulu, Hawaii, where I spent about 14 years. Um, and it was there in Hawaii that I actually started my kind of like design career, my design journey. I was like washing dishes and waiting tables. And uh, my now wife then girlfriend was uh, an art school graduate, tattoo artist, photographer, just multidisciplinary kind of creative person and kind of encouraged me to use creativity um, and kind of like find my passion and find my kind of my niche and kind of scratch that itch. So I actually started making band flyers uh, for bands that I was in. Uh, really horrible band flyers um, in a bootleg version of Photoshop 7. So, sorry to say, it's the truth. And then, uh, and they just had way too much texture and drop shadow and everything was grungy. Um, but from there, <laughs> they were just atrocious. But from there, um, kind of parlayed that into an internship at my church. And from there, uh, my first in-house design gig. And I freelanced for a while. I've worked at marketing agencies, design agencies, startups, and and freelanced a whole bunch. So uh, that's been kind of the arc of my career. Somewhere in there, I decided uh, the best way to learn is to teach. And so I started putting content out on YouTube. Um, and really, I was trying to put out the kind of content that I would have liked to have seen uh, you know, 13, 14 years ago when I was starting out. Um, so I was like the guy who's reading design blogs and skipping all the way to the end and trying to see if I could make it and then go back and learn the techniques and Photoshop and Illustrator. Uh, so I just wanted to create content. And I'm, I hate writing. I'm horrible at it, but I like to talk. So I was like, let's do video <laughs> and see, see how it goes. Uh, and so throughout this whole thing, I've had the opportunity to, um, you know, like meet with some really great people, mentor some people, um, you know, teach, and then really just personally learn a lot about other people and about myself throughout this whole journey. So that's kind of been my my journey so far. Cool. And so how do you how do you balance right now your do you actually still do client work and how do you balance the considerable amount of content that you put out there to your client work? Yeah, uh, I still do client work. I do a lot of consultation. Um, right now, like my freelance agency is mainly focused on being the creative arm for entrepreneurs and startups. Uh, I worked for a startup for three years. I love startups. I love people who are uh, focusing on solving problems. Not that I don't love doing kind of like marketing design or other things, but I just love meeting with the visionaries. Um, and I love kind of being 
my own version of a visionary to kind of attach onto them and help them succeed. So that's what I love to do. And I balance that with all the other stuff that I do. Um, still right now, I would say YouTube, social media, content creation, mentorship, all of that is kind of the side kind of piece to what I do because I'm a I'm an executor. I love to create and make and do, and I'll never, ever be able to get rid of that. I don't care how long I've been in this game. I'm going to have to have my hands on something and be helping somebody in problem solving. So um, the course creation, the YouTube video content, all that kind of stuff is what I do in my spare time. Um, and I've had to learn how to be really, really good at time management. It's one of those lessons I've learned over the last five years of creating content is you can be a phenomenal designer all you want, but um, if you don't know how to manage your time and you don't know how to block out time um, and kind of be self-motivated and a self-starter, you're not going to accomplish the things you want to accomplish. So that's, I have to really be, I'm a calendar to-do list and I use Notion for everything and I plan my life away. It's insane. If I showed you, you'd see what times I take breaks and you know what smoothie I'm going to drink at what hour. Yeah. So, and you have, you know, you have a wife, you have kids, you now moved to Austin from Hawaii, which is insane. I don't know why anyone would ever do that. <laughs> so I got to dive into why that happened. Um, but, you know, being an agency owner and doing client work is a full-time job and you put out a tremendous amount of content. I mean, tons of YouTube videos, which, and I do, do YouTube too, and you do tutorial sort of videos, which I know yep. take a lot of planning. They take a lot of production. Do you do all of your own video editing, your own you know animation and production as well on top of it? Yeah, I just literally, like just this year, I started kind of outsourcing some of those things, but it's still not 100% automated. So I still do a lot of it. I probably... It's probably bad on me that I haven't outsourced all of that yet. It probably shows that I have trust issues and uh, I'm I'm reluctant to relinquish that creative control over my own content. So it's probably totally bad on it. me. I totally yeah. got it. <laughs> I just, but I just this year started actually implementing or utilizing um, a video editor for probably about 50% of my videos because video editing is not a passion of mine. It's just something that I had to learn how to do uh, to create content. So half of that probably goes out. I'm starting to kind of um, subcontract out for certain social media aspects and things like that. Um, but really the, the, the balance for me comes in, um, my mature kind of understanding of what a content funnel looks like mm. and being able to wisely funnel content to make large amounts of content at one time and figure out how I can put that into the, the content wheel and reuse it as many times as possible in different ways, shapes or forms. So that's, that's a, uh, work smarter, not harder kind of understanding. Whereas when I first started out, it was just pure muscle, grind it out, make as much as you can. And, um, and I'm not doing that anymore. So, <laughs> so let's, let's go back there to the early days, just a little bit, like when you were just sure. starting to do content. So you were working at in-house at an agency or, you know, doing freelance work. And then you said, Hey, I'm going to make a YouTube video. Or you said, Hey, I'm going to, you know, be on somebody's podcast. What did those early content days look like? And why did you kind of start to tiptoe into that? Yeah, I really, um, yeah, it's just kind of part of my, my, part of my ethos, part of who I am just kind of revolves around wanting to be helpful, uh, to other people. Oh, I and mean, this is the the brand strategy, like the brand master's design strategy podcast, right? This is all about like what what is my personal brand? It's not a color, it's not a it's not a, a font selection or typography. It's um it's a personal commitment to be helping other people 
around me, in the world, whoever I interact with. And so um, I'm naturally a teacher. So I like to teach. I like to help. So I just wanted to be helpful. And so I'm that help. I, that's kind of my brand. It's like, I want to be that helpful guy online if you're just getting started. That's me. I'm not, I'm not, you know, Philip Van Dusen, like expert, been doing it for 20, 30 years. I'm not a Chris Doe who's been, who, who can sell you a million dollar logo. I'm the guy that says, I need to get you up and running, right? I need to get wheels up and get you in the air. And then you can kind of figure some things out as we go. So um, I just want to be helpful. The early stages of that really looked like um, kind of like the brass tacks, like the bare minimum things you needed to know. I was going to talk about how to use a design tool. For a while, people kind of saw me as the design tool guy. They're like, oh, go to Jesse's channel. He'll teach you how to use XD or Illustrator or Figma or something. That's, that's what he does. And that's not really who I am, but it's, it kind of plays into who I am which is if you need to get started and you open up Illustrator and there's a million tools hiding under each one of those tools, you're like, what do I do with all of this? Like, what's even possible with this tool? What am I supposed to think? So that's kind of how it started. Um, and it kind of morphed into me feeling freed up to talk about other aspects of that. Like, hey, maybe you want to get, in you're interested in code. Like, I understand how confusing that can be. Like, let's talk about some basics of HTML, CSS, a little bit of JavaScript. Let's talk about freelancing and career and finding clients. That stuff's hard. I get it. Um, so I just, I've wanted to free myself up to be able to talk about the beginnings, that, that barrier to entry to anything that has to do with the creative career. So how do you balance, I was looking at your YouTube channel before we hopped on and there's a couple things I was, I noticed. Number one, you are the only person that I've ever seen who has created different styles of thumbnails for the videos that are in their different um, playlists. And I thought that was impressive, number one, because I actually never thought of doing that. But that's also, to a certain extent, against the rules of consistency and branding, right? Because yep. if you're doing different videos on on different subjects, but you're making the thumbnails look totally different from each other. You lose that quick identification of who this video is from. What was your yeah. thought process around that? You know, my thought process was like at the start of this whole thing, it was never to create an empire. It was actually never to create a personal brand for myself when I started creating YouTube videos. That was, I did not intentionally go about creating a YouTube channel to do that. It was actually two things. It was a, um, an exercise in consistency because I'm a, I'm horrible at being a consistent person. And it was a desire to help people. So I actually told my wife, um, hey, I think I want to make YouTube videos. And she said, I think that'd be good for you. And I will clear the space for you to film and produce and create a couple of videos a week. And she also said, I'll hold you accountable to doing that. I'm wow. like, okay, great. I, I need that, right? Because yeah. she knows what I need. And she's, a, she's my completer. She's my helper. She's helping me to do that. Um, and so it, ne it was never about creating a personal brand or something for myself. So I actually, early on, I was like, I'm just going to experiment and try lots of stuff. And I don't care at, at, at like how popular it gets. I don't care how many views it gets. I mean, obviously, I want it to fall into the hands of as many people as it can to help as many people as it can. Um, but I'm, I'm not necessarily out for that. So I felt like a lot of freedom to explore and a lot of, I felt like a lot of freedom to be imperfect and try different things. So I've kind of rebranded like thumbnail, thumbnail styles or brand colors on YouTube and been like, I'm okay with it. And if somebody else isn't okay with it, that's okay. I'm okay with it. You know? And I, so I know that goes against like kind of branding and content creation, like consistency rules, but I'm like, I'm not really here to like appease the powers that be. I'm here to appease myself and to just be my authentic self.
So, so you, you did a lot of variety in that, so it wasn't planful, but now are you are you following that plan? Meaning you're the thumbnail for this playlist looks like this and the thumbnail for this I'm playlist. I'm a little bit more this. structured now, and I pro- it probably has to do a little bit with like, hey, I understand consistency for, for people is important, but also just consistency for me is like helpful. I don't have to reinvent the wheel every single time. Like I know that if I go to your YouTube channel, I'm going to see yellow borders. I'm going to see your smiling face. I'm going to see it every single time. I'm like, it is kind of nice. <laughs> and I also think to myself, Philip's smarter than me. Philip does not spend as much time making thumbnails as I spend making thumbnails. So let's let's be more like Philip. <laughs> no, I, I definitely don't think you're smarter than me. You definitely have more tattoos than me because I have none and you have like 10 million. And so it's not surprising to me. Actually, so was the girlfriend tattoo artist, is that your, currently your wife? Or was yep, that an early wife. one? See, that's awesome. No. I And as a, as a designer and as a visual person, I never, I, I, I heard this one piece of advice that totally ruined me, which was that if you're thinking of getting a tattoo, put a drawing of it on a piece of paper, put it in your wallet, look at it every single day for a year. And if you still like it enough, then get it. And yep. I tried that a couple of times. I'm like, I, I fall out of love with graphics and imagery so easily that I just have never been able to do it. My wife's got a number of tattoos, and I think tattoos are great, but I've just never been able to go there. But um, I, I think that, you know, that's completely awesome. And um, so you have a, a brand ecosystem that you've built now, right? You have your yes. YouTube channel. You've now started doing courses. You do mentorship and coaching. You um, sell products, so you're selling templates and and um, digital products as well. How did that ecosystem grow? What did you start with and what did you kind of build on to after, um, piece by yeah. piece? Yeah, it kind of, I mean, it started with content. I mean, I took like a, I mean, I read like some Gary Vee books and like just like jab, 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 like just keep giving value, just keep offering to people, you know? It's like that's, that's kind of in line with what I want to do. I'm not trying to write hook and sell things and take from people. I want to help people. So this comes very, very easy for me. So I actually made a commitment to myself like, hey, I'm not going to um, ask for anything really for at least two or three years. Like, I just need, I want to build up like a, a level of trust so people understand that I, I actually am helping. Um, so I just did tons of free content. I think the first thing actually besides YouTube videos I created was a, like a free ebook on how to kind of build your portfolio, some kind of basic tips. It's like a 10-page, you know, PDF, like ebook kind of thing. Hey, just like, just grab that, take that for free. Um, and then from there, I was like, okay, I actually have some things that I've created for my own systems in my own life that are helpful. So like, for instance, I use Notion for everything. It's really benefited me. I'm like, I think this would benefit other people. And I, I actually was like, I'm going to put this out there for free. And I was a part of a mastermind. They're like, why wouldn't you just charge a couple bucks for it? Usually when you charge a couple bucks, people actually see it as more valuable. And I was like, okay, that's a good point. Like, I guess I'll try to do that. So I put it out there for like $3 or something. And I was like, okay, this is cool. Um, so that was kind of the start was, I don't want to ever put anything out that I don't feel is helpful that I don't actually use. So I have a couple of Notion templates that I use for things. I have a couple of client documents like client surveys, um, hourly rate sheets, like different things. I'm going to put all those out there as well. I'm going to charge a couple bucks for them. But really, it's um, I just remember as a young freelancer, as a young creative, thinking like, I can't afford those things. Those things are really expensive. So I was like, I'm just going to make my stuff cheap. Because at the end of the day, I'm not trying to get rich here off of some templates. I'm just trying to balance that 
that, hey, this is not a free thing. This is something you should actually look through to the end. So pay $3 for it. Um, but it should be easy enough for you to get your hands on. So that was kind of the start, like products. But then again, it was like, um, I just recently put out a free course about like starting your creative career. I have seen less traction on that than the any paid course I've ever put out before. Uh, because people genuinely are like free, okay, and they it's watch the first two chapters, value. It's and they value. don't they don't go all the way to the end because they're like, I haven't paid for this, that's okay. But if you, somebody pays for something, they move all the way to the end on things or closer to the end, like completion rate is higher. So I understand that. I'm gonna keep putting out free stuff, and I'm but try to balance that. I don't know if I'm answering your question really well, but again, it's like all in the guise of like I need to put things out there that are helping you, and I I think I like. I want to go to bed at the end of the day. I want to lay my head down on the pillow knowing that I know down in my bones, like if anybody bought anything from me, watched anything from me, that they walked away with like real value. And I don't want them to watch it going, he actually benefited from me watching this video more than I benefited from watching his video. That would really stink. I don't want that. This episode of the Brand Design Masters podcast is sponsored by Bring Your Own Laptop. BYOL.me is a top-tier Adobe application video training website featuring Daniel Scott. Daniel's a certified Adobe trainer and keynote speaker at the Adobe Max conference every year. At BYOL.me forward slash Philip, you can learn everything from the basics to advanced aspects of your favorite Adobe applications, all for one low monthly subscription fee. Visit BYOL.me forward slash Philip. P-H-I-L-I-P. Again, that's B-Y-O-L dot M-E forward slash Philip. I just know you're going to be amazed at Bring Your Own Laptops courses. Well, I completely identify with what you're saying. You, I was looking at your Instagram channel and you had highlighted a couple comments where people had achieved something or gotten a client or something and had come back and said thank you. And I totally identify with that because... You know, I've done videos on like how to ace a designer interview and things like that. And people come on and say, oh man, I'm so glad I found this video. I have an interview tomorrow. And I always comment and say, hey, come back and tell me how it went. Yeah. And people come back and say, I got the job. And, you know, and that just like warms my heart. It just makes me feel so awesome. And like you, I didn't ask for anything for the first three years. Like mm -hmm. I just put out content for free to anybody, a lot of lead magnets, totally free, built an email list, but I didn't charge anything any anybody. Yeah. And I think people really understand that. And there's something that I'd love to get your impression on this. There's something that yeah. I like to call subliminal reciprocity, which is if you give people enough value over time, they in their hearts want to give back to you. So they either hire you as a client, bring you in on a job, give you a, a reference of some point, or they want to support you through Patreon or you know, yeah. buy a $3 tool or whatever that is. How do you feel about that? Have you seen the results of kind of that free content that you put out for so long? Yeah, absolutely. It's, cra it's crazy. It's, um, I, I did a live stream recently about like building a personal brand as a creative and I, not a single time did I talk about like any visual aspects of it, but more about creating like the brand of who you are and doing it consistently over time and the benefits of it. Because what's crazy is I had no idea that this was going to happen. I feel like creating a personal brand is a hot topic right now. Like I even hate the word almost like that buzzword personal brand. I'm like, oh my gosh, shut up about your personal brand. But like seven years ago, it wasn't a conversation. 
right? Like just wasn't being talked about as much. There weren't as many books written about it. So I guess it was like an experiment. And now the experiment is like paying off because what's weird is I'm not um, actively looking for clients. People ask me all the time, like, Jesse, your portfolio doesn't really have like case studies or like a lot. I'm like, I don't need to because clients are coming to me. It's crazy town, USA. Like I get more emails every day and every week of clients asking me to work for them than I've ever gotten in my life because I've created a level of trust. Um, and so there's a level of like reciprocity that's just kind of put out into the universe, right? Into the world where there's trust that comes back. But then also with people that watch my content, yeah, there's trust there. And the people are more apt to buy things from me or support me. Or even, let's just talk about like the bare minimum. Just be actually genuinely excited for me. I feel like I have a real audience, like a real community of people that when I have highs, like they're genuinely excited for me. And when when they have, well, I have lows, they're there with me. It's a really interesting feeling. I don't, I'm not going to fool myself and say that I'm best friends with like 185,000 people. That's not realistic, but I feel like they're on my side and, and I feel like they're on my side because they realize I'm on their side. Like I'm for them. And so therefore they're for me. Like there's, I, I'm going to be very like transparent. I made a mistake one time in my, uh, like YouTube kind of career or my YouTube journey, which was, I took on a sponsor that I didn't wholeheartedly believe in. I made this video and I gripped my teeth the whole time doing it. I was like, ugh, I hate this because I don't love this product. And I just, I put that video out and I felt horrible about it. And I just decided I'll never ever do that again. So I get people requesting sponsorship from me or to collaborate with them and promote their product. And I say no to 99.99% of them because I'm like, I don't use your product. And so I can't genuinely promote it or say that I love it. I just can't. And people are like, you could be making way more money on YouTube. I'm like, I'm not that guy. I'm just not that guy because I'm not going to do that again anymore. And <laughs> So I, I definitely see that if you authentically, genuinely put yourself out there enough that you sow into people that there's there's a reaping that comes and it's not like you taking it's people wanting to give back and you're protecting your personal integrity and the fact that people know that if you do put something out there as a sponsorship or an affiliate link or something like that that you wholeheartedly believe in it and that you're not selling and so you're maintaining that trust factor i think so that's very yeah. smart so you you know your youtube channel is a lot about designer career stuff. But then in looking at your Instagram, a lot of your Instagram is personal. A lot of your Instagram is yeah. like day in the life. I love the I love the whole section on your building your studio in your backyard. I mean, that's pretty incredible. And yeah. um, you just documented that from beginning to end. You, you documented your road trip coming across the country to Austin, which was awesome. And very sorry about your car getting broken into, by the way. <laughs> that was okay. crazy. That's okay. And But so talk a little bit about how you do that. I mean, as content creators, we need to show a little bit of authenticity about our real lives, our real selves, our real, you know, the personal piece as well as the professional piece. How do you carve that out and how do you... Uh, decide what to post, what to share, what not to. Yeah, I get. I wish I had like a tactical or like strategic way of thinking about that. I don't. I'm. I just. I have. I have friends. Um, obviously, like when you start to grow and your social media kind of like persona, you you make friends with other people who are doing like minded things, similar things, right? So you're on podcasts with great people who are growing their personal brands and doing their things. You're in masterminds with people. And I have friends who, you know, who've is, whose Instagrams and YouTubes are just blowing up. They're taking off and they're way above mine. And I'm like, that's great. That's awesome for you. 
I am probably held back by two things. Number one, um, I'm still working on the consistency piece. That's probably my biggest issue. But number two, I, I cannot just be business all the time. It doesn't work for me. It's not who I am, like in my heart. Um, I like showing people a little bit about me. I like talking about things that are happening in my life because um, I just, I think those things are valuable too. Like I end up like a lot of times on podcast interviews or like other channels, I end up talking about like soft skills for creatives um, because I think those things are just as important. Like your integrity, um, your communication skills, like you considering other people and loving people well. I think those things are so massively important that for me just to talk about five top five tips for Figma constantly on my Instagram would be like, that's not really genuinely me. And so I just try to tap into what's what, obviously like this thing is important design wise or, you know, uh, technically, I'm, I'm thinking about these things right now, this design tool, these tips. But like also, here's some other things that are on my mind. And again, I think a lot of it is just freedom. It's freedom to be me. It's, it's freedom to not have to match what everyone else is doing. And it's freedom to not have the burden of what success looks like and have that be defined by everyone else. Success for me is always just authentically, genuinely being myself. And if I have that, I win every single day, which is super fun. I'm like, hey, I feel like I've been successful today because I've just been me. That's awesome. And you do come across very much as you, you know, I think your personality is very genuine. I mean, you, you have a good screen presence and you come across as very, very genuine. You said to you earlier, you said you didn't like writing and you weren't going to be like the blogging guy, but you know, developing an email list and having a direct channel to your viewers, you can't connect people, you know, with people directly on YouTube. You don't know who your subscribers are, right? There is no way to really communicate with them. Have you developed an email list? Do you utilize email as a marketing or communication platform for your audience? I do. Yeah. And in the last year, I've started to take that way more seriously because I know that there's a there's a little bit more of an intimate connection that can have that can happen there, right? I can reach people a little bit more directly. So I have an email list. I've built that over the years. Um, I send emails out sporadically. I try to be consistent about it. Again, consistency is my problem. Um, so you you can't count on me for a guaranteed every single week email newsletter. But what you can't count is when I seek really cool things. It doesn't have to be things I'm doing. It could be, man, I'll send an email newsletter out about like somebody I see online who's crushing it. I'm like, you should go watch Charlie Marie's like YouTube channel. She's amazing. Like, look what's happening. Like, you should see like this new thing that like is happening over at Dribble. I'll send those things out because I'm like, this is what's important to me. Um, this is what's on my mind. So uh, I definitely, though, when I do send something out that says, hey, I just launched a new template. If you're interested in purchasing this, like I just launched, I'm really excited about it. I get feedback from it. Not only do I get people purchasing it, but I get people saying, hey, I love it. I got it. Maybe you could improve it this way. So I have this really cool kind of connection with my subscribers, my email list, where they actually feel the freedom to like speak back to me. And it's not a monologue. It's not just a platform where I kind of preach from, but instead it's one that I reach from and that they can reach back to me. Have you done any kind of survey of your email list to find out who they are, what their challenges are, you know, how old they are, whether they went to school or not, what their discipline is? How have you gone about kind of discovering who your audience is in a more kind of you know, demographic way so you can target to them. Yeah. Once a year I send out, uh, um, online social media, also through my email, I send out a survey and I just do a simple Google form that just says, I want to get to know you. I want to figure out who you are. Um, and I want to, I want to learn 
how to make the best possible content for you. I don't want to be, you know, driving down a lane that you don't care about. So I send that survey out. I usually get anywhere between two to 800 people um, fill it out. And I get incredible kind of metrics and information from that. I ask questions like, where are you currently at in your career? Um, you know, what's your biggest fear as a creative in this industry? Uh, what topics interest you most? I usually put like a list of 10 and then, hey, choose your own. What's this, some other topic? Um, and what I love about that, especially in Google Forms, is after I start getting all of these submissions, I get really great detailed like data like structures. So I get like a pie chart that says, hey, like 68% of your people want to still are wanting to learn design basics from you. They haven't moved on to wanting to learn like 303 class level things. They still want 101 and 201 level topics from you. Okay, great. I'm, I'm going to keep focusing on those things. You know, what tools are most important to you? Like I ask a lot of those questions. I take those, a lot of that data each year, and I'll kind of create a content plan. Not a, not a detailed one, but an overall vision for the year. Hey, here's what I really want to be focusing on this year. Um, and I, I kind of start brainstorming and mind mapping a certain amount of ideas off of that. And that's where like a lot of content creation comes from. Um, and that's where a lot of like topical discussion comes from. So I actually, I did a live yesterday, in fact, about how to kind of surmount uh, analysis paralysis and have more confident in your confidence in your decision making. And you were talking about being very, very planful about your day and your time management. And in that you know, as you just spoke about making kind of a content, you know, uh, a content plan for an entire year. Do you have a process for your goal setting when it comes to your annual goal setting? Do you take a, a day or two and like totally block out the day and you totally focus on that? Or do you do it ad hoc at night after the kid's gone to bed? Like, how do you handle that piece of your planning in terms of your, your own landscape and your own goal setting? Yep. Um, I try to set up some really big baskets. Um, I, I call them bags, big, audacious goal setting. Um, so I want to have just these massive things that seem impossible. So like, again, like when I was at, um, I hit 10,000 subscribers, I was like, I want to hit 100,000 by the end of the year. And that was like big and audacious. And everyone was telling me, you're probably not going to do that. I'm like, that's okay. I'm going to shoot for the moon. And if I fall short a couple of light years, I'm fine with that. So I'll set up like these really, really big ones. Then I'll set up like my reasonable goals for the year. And those are usually based off of, everything's based off of what I was able to accomplish last year. I never want to settle for what I was able to do last year. I always want to bank on the reality of momentum um, and the amount of time I can dedicate and my drive. So I'm going to set up big things, realistic things. And I kind of do that in, um, usually at the end of each year, I have kind of a one day long session with myself where I take in a lot of data and information from people. I start whiteboarding my own personal plans for the next year and my goals. And then I start to kind of translate those into minute goals or into shorter, smaller goals. Um, so that might look like, hey, each quarter then I'm going to have to do X, Y, and Z. I'm going to have to perform and get these things. So it's almost, I've never had like a massive sales job, but I would imagine it's similar to like quarterly sales goals, right? Where I'm like, I know that I want to hit this big end of the year goal. This is what this looks like. Without those, I flounder very, very easily. I get off track. Um, if if I don't break those quarterly goals into this week, next week, what's happening today, and have five, seven things I must accomplish today that are still playing into the bigger picture, the 10,000 foot view, um, I can show up at my desk and do a few things and then kind of like, okay, I feel like 
yeah, it's great. This feels good. And I'm like, no, stay driven, stay focused on the task at hand. If I don't see that task, um, it's actually a lot of times I, I have like certain goals and I'll write them right up here behind my desk. Uh, I have like certain goals listed out. There's two main goals so that every day when I sit down at my desk, I see those. I actually learned this when I was a kid. Um, in high school and college, I competed in swimming and water polo. Um, so in swimming, it's a very personal, uh, um, like driven sport. And so each year, I would have a number written on the wall and I would actually actually pin it to my ceiling. So every morning when I woke up and went to bed, I saw the time that I wanted to achieve. That's the, how fast I want to swim. So when I wake up in the morning, I see the number. When I go to bed, I see the number. And I still do that to this day. When I wake up and I come in, that's my goal. When I leave my office, that's my goal. Do you have a, you know, this goal setting thing and accountability and planning around what your business is, sometimes working in a vacuum it's difficult to get perspective on what it is that you are doing. And one of the things that I think is very helpful about the content that you do, obviously, is that you give people a bit of, you know, a bit of outside feedback on what they're doing. And, you know, you're coaching and mentoring people as well. So they're getting some external fresh perspectives from you in terms of the decisions and the planning they need to make. Do you have a peer group or a mastermind that you take part in that you are working with other action takers who are driving their businesses forward and you're getting feedback from them or do you work independently? Yeah, um, it's been different at different seasons of my life. I was actually part of a mastermind for about a year and a half and that was one of the most beneficial times um, of my career because these were driven people, like-minded people in similar but different industries. Some of them were copywriters, some of them were SEO specialists, some of them were agency owners, some of them were launching online Amazon businesses. Everyone was kind of in a different kind of niche. Um, and uh, I loved that. I had to leave that just because circumstantially some things were happening in my life and it broke my heart because they came, became very good friends. And they mm -hmm. also became a an outside perspective to sharpen and hone the things that I'm doing. I think I suffer a lot of times with like we all do, imposter syndrome, which is a new fancy word for self-esteem issues. So just thinking, I'm not worth that much. I couldn't charge that much to have six other people go, why would you say that? Of course you can. Jesse, if we were to hire you for this, we would pay you that much easily. Look at what you've done in the past. So it doesn't matter how, I mean, I've done projects for Nike. I've worked with Adobe. It doesn't matter what you accomplish. You need somebody else to go, why wouldn't you charge $250 an hour? That makes zero sense. I don't understand why you would feel bad about that. Like, oh, Right. So, I mean, literally when I was like, I'm planning like a course, I'm thinking about charging like $79, like, no, no, premium course, like $399, $499, Jesse, like that's what you need to be doing. I'm like, oh, you guys see that? I don't see that. I loved that. Um, when I don't have that, I have to fall back on myself, which is hard. Um, but thankfully, I also married uh, a partner who is not afraid to call me out on my crap and keep me very, very accountable. She asks me to communicate my goals, my wants, my dreams, and she plucks on those heart strings and she does it very, very well. So I'm very blessed to have her that if I don't have a group of six or seven motivators, I have this one <clears throat> supercharged motivator that is my bride and she can do it. She can <laughs> fill that role for me quite often. Wow, that's having like, you're living with the gas in your tank. That's awesome. Now, chances are many of you listening might have first come across me via my YouTube channel. Building my presence on YouTube has done more to build my personal brand than any other platform. So I wanna share with you the one resource that was critical in growing my channel. 
It's a YouTube plugin called TubeBuddy. TubeBuddy is a freemium browser extension that you use to manage and optimize your YouTube channel videos. It saves a massive amount of time doing the mundane tasks like adding cards and managing your video descriptions. But it also provides incredible value through its video analytics, showing you data about your competitors' videos that's absolutely invisible without it. It also helps with adding metadata to your videos so they show up better in search. If you want to take your YouTube work to the next level, you have to get TubeBuddy. You can support this podcast by signing up through our affiliate link. Just go to TubeBuddy.com slash Philip Van Dusen. It's easy to remember. Just type in TubeBuddy.com slash Philip Van Dusen to check it out. By adding TubeBuddy to your video workflow, I guarantee you your channel will grow much, much faster. Just go to TubeBuddy.com slash Philip Van Dusen and sign up for TubeBuddy today. So, so I got to circle back to the Hawaii thing, right? You went to okay. school in Hawaii, so that was awesome. I'm a scuba diver, so of course, and I've been to Hawaii a bunch of times to dive, and so I want to live there, of course. Yeah. And so anybody who has lived there, I'm like, why would you ever leave? Sure. And so, but I used to live in San Francisco too, and I left that to come back to the East Coast. So it's like, why would you ever leave San Francisco? Right. So why Austin? Why from Hawaii to Austin? What happened? Yeah, uh, we have, uh, my wife and I, we've been married now for coming on 13 years. We have two kids, they're nine and 10. Um, we got married in Hawaii. We met in Hawaii, married in Hawaii, had children in Hawaii. And Hawaii is amazing, but it's also very, very expensive. Um, and younger in my career, uh, my wife is a tattoo artist and a photographer. I am a, a designer. I've done like pastoral ministry, other things. We were living in a 500 square foot apartment and we were each working two to three jobs, mm. like 16 hour days, living off of espresso. And we were like ships passing in the night. Like we didn't get to see each other as much. We did that for a long time. We also had no family. Um, we had built a really wide network of friends and church family there, but we did not have uh, any blood relatives. So it was like us and the kids versus the world. And it got, it got tough sometimes. Milk's $8 a gallon. And like, it's just like, it was brutal sometimes. And um, we just felt like we were supposed to live a little bit more simply. So um, slow down, stop stressing yourself out. We want to be married for the next 40 years. And uh, we want to spend more time together. And so I was, I was working at a startup at that time. And uh, there was kind of some rearranging in the startup. And they said, hey, you could be remote if you want to. And so I said, I think this is maybe the chance. We prayed about it. And we started looking for a place that was affordable, that was near a creative scene, a tech scene. Um, and in Hawaii, we have what's called the aloha spirit. Everyone's kind, um, loving. Uh, you literally refer to anybody that's older than you as an auntie or an uncle. That's that's the aloha spirit. It's family. Uh, so we were like, we can't find that anywhere else, but we need something as close as possible. So Texas has got southern hospitality, good food, barbecue, good good housing market at the time when we moved here. So we sold our little condo that's 500 square feet, and uh, we were able to move here and buy a three-bedroom with half an acre out back. And my wife doesn't have to work. She can actually focus on photography when she wants to, her creative endeavors, and she homeschools the kids. And we spend way more time together. We have a golden doodle and we uh, we lay in a hammock quite often. So it's it's everything we wanted. We miss the island and we miss our, our friends, our people, the culture. But um, we actually, we can go back and visit anytime we want, which is nice. That's awesome. Quality of life. So that transition was a big life move. Where in your career have you met? You know, a lot of times when I speak to influencers and people on the show, 
if you, we leave it at the end of the interview without talking about struggles, it, it feels like everyone's life is perfect and all the pieces yeah. fell in place and like the growth cycle never had a jag down, right? It was sure. like up and to the right. So where in your life have you really hit some adversity and what did that, how, what did that look like and where did it take you? Yeah, I can mark uh, probably two or three distinct times where, and just my life and my career kind of like linked together that might be applicable for like adversity. The first one is getting started um, in the industry, which is probably why I do what I do for the people that I serve, which is uh, people getting started. I just um, was so terrified um, and I had analysis paralysis and I just could not believe in myself. I just felt so, uh, I was in the Marine Corps um, I, I got out. I didn't have a college education. I was, like I said, washing dishes, waiting tables. And I just didn't believe that I could do anything that was creative. I had never really explored that. I mean, I drew a little bit when I was young. I loved to take things apart and put them back together. I didn't think that you could, that that would translate in any way, shape, or form. So I just had a lot of trouble early on believing in myself. Um, and I felt like I had to lie. And I felt like I had to pump myself up versus kind of just be okay with who I was. I struggled with that. I had a little bit of an identity crisis, transitioning out of all of these things. Um, and I was probably a little bit depressed during that time because I just couldn't get my foot in the door. And every slam in my face just felt like another mile away from ever succeeding in this thing. And even just doubting, am I good enough for this? Like, could I ever possibly do something like this? So that was, that was a struggle. I needed people at that time to speak into my life my wife, my friends, uh, to say, um, continue, continue, like push forward. Nothing good comes without work. And I needed that to like connect in that time. I'd say the second was, uh, um, probably like the first time I ever got let go <laughs> for no fault of my own. It was just, Hey, uh, I made a video about it one time. Uh, I was working for a startup for three years. Startups are tumultuous. And, uh, they just ran out of funding and they said, we're, you're literally done. Put down all work. We can't afford you anymore. Uh, that's it for you. And there was a feeling of failure there. Like, oh no, what will I do? Um, how will I overcome? Um, how, <laughs> how will I provide for my family? I've moved us out to Texas. I'm the sole provider of income right now. And now I don't have a job. Oh no. So what do I do now? I, that had never happened to me before. Um, and again, it's probably people speaking into my life, but also, um, it was the network that I had established that really helped me out of that slump. Because as soon as I got let go, uh, what's a really funny story, I got let go on a Friday and I had a podcast scheduled uh, for a buddy who, <laughs> about design careers, <laughs> like literally three hours after I got off work that day. Oh, I was like, man. hey, here's a fun design career story. <laughs> I just got let go. He was like, um, holy cow, okay. <laughs> so... Um, <laughs> But again, I, you know what's funny? It's like all of these adversities are probably going to revolve around self-esteem and like feeling if I'm good enough. Um, but that was one like, will anybody else hire me? I started asking myself questions like, did, did they hire me because I knew people previously? Is my design work good enough? Is it just my networking skill? Am I not? There's so much of that. Um, and I, I put it out to my community, to like on social media. I put a video out about it like, hey, I got let go. I don't have a job right now and I don't know what's next. And I just got lots of people just encouraging me saying like, it's going to be great, Jesse. It's going to be awesome. Even um, a, like people that I knew in the industry, hey, here's a, here's a freelance project. Here's something for you. Within six hours of being let go, um, I had the encouragement that I needed. I had three projects in the pipeline um, and I was like off and running freelancing and, and doing my own thing. So I was like, okay, wow. It's, 
<laughs> that's a that's a huge one. Um, and I'd say the last level or last kind of piece of adversity that's happened recently is um, I, I never in my life, I'm 36 years old, I've kind of been through the gambit of experiences, but for some reason, I started facing a lot of anxiety and stress and a little bit of depression that revolved around the future. What's the future look like for me? Am I doing the right thing? Am I making the right decisions? And that just felt kind of crippling, like it wanted to slow me down and shut me down. So I, I started seeing a, a counselor. I started getting a little bit of help, finding somebody to talk to. I'm not embarrassed to talk about that at all. I think it's healthy. I want to be physically healthy and spiritually healthy, but I want to be mentally healthy. I started talking to somebody about it, and he kind of helped me flesh out some things. Um, and that was something I'd never done before in my life. I had to, I had to get through the barrier of being embarrassed about saying, I need somebody to talk to right now. Um, somebody that's not my wife, somebody that's not you know, a friend, I need an outside perspective. Um, and that has been so beneficial, that's been so helpful and so healthy and life-giving. Um, and uh, so that was a huge barrier was getting over myself and not being embarrassed of me needing help. I think that that's, that's really awesome. And it's amazing that you could be as uh, transparent about it, like on the podcast, right? Yeah. Um, and just and putting it out there and that you received so much support and encouragement. And that's one of the things that I encourage people to do is to share the, you know, the jog down in the in the pie graph or the, the progress bar, because, you know, it, life isn't always easy. And I've had yeah. a lot of I've had a, and I'm very transparent about the, the struggles that I've had in my career from being laid off to, you know, burning out dramatically from the biggest job in my career. And that is, I think, as we, we as creators and examples to younger designers, we have to live that truth so they know that it's okay. You know, yeah. I, I think we fail people if, if we, we don't. don't show them both sides of the coin. I, if people don't realize that it's hard, it, it's hard for me. Right. I, okay. I'm going to put it like it's hard for Philip Van Dusen, like design master. It's hard for Jesse Showalter, like been in the game for 13 or 14 years, even to this day, to, to not struggle with imposter syndrome. It's hard for me, even to this day, to, uh, to believe in myself. Like sometimes I have dry spell. Like it's, I fail, I get let go, like we overcome. Like people, if only, if people only see the Instagram porcelain veneer version of you, then we're failing people, I think. Yeah, I totally agree. So Jesse, it's been great talking to you. What is next for you? What's on the horizon? What's what's on your what's on your whiteboard right in front of you? What's that what's that number that's on the top of your your uh above your bed right now that you're waking up and looking at and saying, that's my goal? Yeah. Um I have uh I have one that's personal and one that I could share. <laughs> but okay. uh yeah, but the one that is there is I have a number on my board um uh, which is uh to personally help uh, personally help a thousand people. That's the number that's on my board right now. And so I've had to figure out how could I scale myself to personally help a thousand people and what do I consider helping a thousand people? Mm. Technically, I could say, hey, I, I help people all the time with my YouTube channel, or I help people all the time with this. But um, what I'm starting to count as like, I want to personally help is I need to set up like deeper forms of community with people. Um, and to do that, I have to, I can't do it one on one. So I'm starting to do like group mentorship calls, I'm starting to build courses that have mentorship like that are embedded inside of it because i need to reach out and touch people so um it's a thousand people this year it's like i need to feel in my bones that i've had a thousand people and i'm still i'm still help trying to define what that looks like but 
Maybe that looks like to me, I need a thousand pieces of feedback that people say, I got the job, right? Like That's I had a great awful. interview. I, I learned a skill I never thought I could. Like I got, a, I got paid for the first time for a piece of work that I did. And uh, I'm not checking them off as much as I am like capturing them and gathering them and just writing names down. And I'm gonna, I'm trying to, by the end of 2021, say like, that looks like there's a thousand here. Now, again, that's a big audacious goal. I might not hit a thousand, but if I hit 600, oh man, I'm gonna feel really excited. Well, you're hitting 10,000 YouTube subscribers is still in your Instagram feed. And I know you're at 185,000 now. So, I mean, I have no doubt that it's gonna happen, Jesse. I totally believe in you. Thanks, Philip. So. I always ask my guests at the very end, what is the, do you have a personal mantra or some sort of manifesto that you try to live your life by? I do actually, yeah. So um, I have a favorite Bible verse that comes out of Philippians chapter two that says, consider others more importantly than yourself. There's a lot of complexities in that verse, right? I think a lot of times we could look at it and say, um, don't consider yourself at all. That's not actually what it's saying. It's saying, um, have put in the time and the thought work and be willing to put in the energy to treat other people in a way that says you are valuable um, and I want to consider you and I will put in the sweat and the time and the equity um, to offer you some form of value and to benefit you and everything that I do. This is why, uh, whether it's, I, I love I love doing front-end development as well. I've worked on that side of the industry. Um, I'm really big on like handoff between design and engineering teams. Um, I love that. You know why? Because I want to teach designers to put in the extra time and effort and energy to document their work and make the developer's life really, really easy and make it really wonderful. I want, I want developers to love designers because I, I want them to consider the engineer's time as really valuable. So I'll, I'll put in the time to make your life easier, right? And that's kind of everything that I do. Like I'm going to make YouTube videos and I hope that I'll put in the time and the planning, the energy, the filming, the production to make, to offer you some value that makes your life easier. And I hope, I pray that people will take that, see that because more is caught than taught usually. And they'll pass it forward. They'll say, Hey, I'm willing, Jesse poured into me in some way and I'm, I'm willing to pour into other people and, and consider them as valuable. So there's a, a lot of pride shedding and ego shedding that takes place there. Um, and I'm happy, I'm happy to challenge myself to do it. I'm not perfect at it by any means. There's a lot of days where I wake up and I want to be all about me. Um, but my, hopefully my personal mantra in that verse kind of like reigns supreme, um, in my mind and in my heart. Fantastic. So Jesse has been great talking to you. Where can people get in touch with you? Where do you prefer them to, uh, to link in with, um, with Jesse Showalter? Sure. Yeah. You can find me on YouTube, youtube.com slash Jesse Showalter. I also just launched uh, kind of a, a resource platform at learn.jessieshowalter.com. Um, you can sign up for my newsletter there. Uh, you can see my courses, free courses, paid courses and products. And I do mentorship there as well. And then you can always find me occasionally randomly tweeting about stuff on Twitter. <laughs> so I think it's twitter.com slash I am Jesse Show. It's the same thing for Instagram. Awesome. Well, Jesse, it's been great talking to you. Thanks for joining us on the Brand Design Masters podcast, and I hope to talk to you again real soon. Thanks, Philip. Thanks for having me. If you'd like to help support the Brand Design Masters podcast, please rate and review us on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Also, if you want to stay up to date on all our content, products, courses, and live video shows, head over to philipvandusen.com slash muse and sign up for the Brand Muse newsletter. That's where we share all the latest news, resources, articles, books, and videos that we recommend to help you build and improve your creative practice, personal brand, and business. 
That's philipvandusen.com slash muse, M-U-S-E. Thanks again for listening. Bye for now.